Well, if you were with us last week, you heard that we ended by saying that there is a battle going on for the next generation. That that next generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, even those who are coming behind them, uh, are beginning to leave the church at a rapid pace, more quickly than any other generation before them. Uh, we are losing that generation. And so... I think the question that we want to deal with today as we bring this series about passing our faith on to that next generation to a close is what are we going to do to win that battle, right? If there is a battle for the next generation, what are we doing to try to win it? And uh, I think we've, we've already seen uh, two major ways as we walk through this series. We've seen uh, the critical importance for all of us of living out our faith because that's one of the primary reasons they're leaving. They don't believe that we believe. But not just living out our faith, we, we've seen the importance of talking about our faith, right? Because doubt is not the biggest enemy of faith. Silence is. We have to talk about our faith, talk about the gospel. And these are powerful tools, living out our faith, talking about our faith, that we know God is going to use in ways that go far beyond us. Maybe you've been with us both weeks and you've been thinking, yeah, that, that's great, Chip, but I'm not going to live out my faith perfectly. I struggle when I talk about my faith. Are you sure it's going to make a difference? Look, as we've already said, these are principles, not promises. You may do everything right and something still may happen with your kids making decisions that you wish they didn't. But what I can say is the principle is when we live out our faith, when we clearly talk about our faith, there is a great chance that we are going to pass that faith on to those coming behind us. We've seen these principles drawn out from one particular passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And I want to read that just one more time because I hope as we've walked through it for three weeks that it becomes a passage that's very memorable to you as you go forward in the days ahead. So let's read it one more time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So obviously, we see here clearly... I mean, look at that last verse, 16. Pay attention to your life and your teaching. We've seen the importance of talking about faith, living out faith. And we've really focused on that in the context of the home, right? In our role as parents, the importance of living out our faith, talking about our faith with our kids. But obviously, these two factors, living and talking, are critical for every believer, who seeks to pass faith on to someone else, whether it be their kids, their neighbor, their parents. It doesn't matter. These are important for all of us. And I think with that in mind, maybe we should say very clearly that the battle for the next generation doesn't just belong to their parents. I want you to hear that. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that we can't leave the fight for the faith of those coming behind us to the parents. This is something that the whole church must engage in. Passing faith on to the next generation is mission critical for every follower of Jesus. 
And so as we end this series today, I want to really focus in on two of the most important tools that we, when I say we, I mean the local church that we have as we help in that battle for the next generation. Now, before I jump in, obviously, when I say the two most important tools, don't, don't Jesus juke me here. Obviously, the most important tools that the church has is the Word and the Spirit. They are powerful. They do what we cannot. God uses them. God, uh, through His Spirit, through the Word, uh, brings life to the hearts of unbelievers. Uh, but what I want to say is e- every church has those, right? Every local church that has ever existed has had the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit whether that church uses them or not, they have them. When I say the most powerful tools that we have, um, I'm talking about two, tool, two tools that not every local church has, even though every local church has the potential to have them. Not every church has them. And those tools specifically are commissioning and community. Those two tools, commissioning and community, are maybe our most powerful tools when it comes to reaching the next generation. And you've guessed it, we see them in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We see them specifically in verse 14. So, so let's go back. I want to show you these tools in Paul's instruction to Timothy. Verse 14, he says, Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So, before we really kind of pull those out of that, let, let's, let's look at some important context to make sure you understand what's going on here. Um, Timothy, as we've said, is Paul's son in the faith, right? So what that means is, is Paul is not Timothy's biological father. As we would say here in the South, Paul is not blood kin to Timothy. He met him as a young man. Timothy was led to faith by his mother and his grandmother. But when Paul met him, Paul chose to invest in Timothy, to pour into Timothy's life, to bring him along for holy spiritual matters. This isn't Paul's cousin, grandson, nephew, whatever. Paul saw Timothy and as a part of the body of Christ, says, I'm going to invest in this next generation. Paul would plant a church in the Asian town of Ephesus around 15 to 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So 15 to 20 years after the resurrection, Paul plants the church in Ephesus. He initially leaves it to leaders, Priscilla and Aquila, and goes off to plant other churches. At some point, Paul comes back to the church in Ephesus, and he stays there at that church for about three years, which is longer than we know of him spending at any church that he planted. Uh, He leaves again, and at a later point, maybe even while he was in prison, Paul appoints Timothy to lead and pastor that growing but troubled church there in Ephesus. That's, That's why that church is important. So Paul appoints Timothy, leaves Timothy to pastor that church. And he probably did that because of his close relationship to Timothy and to that particular church. But even though Paul appointed Timothy to pastor and lead that church, uh, we know that Timothy was still considered very young to hold that position of spiritual leadership. Just go back and look at verse 11 that we've read for three weeks when Paul says, don't let anyone despise your youth, right? Just because you're young, Timothy, don't let people look down on you and your leadership. But what I think we see here in verse 14 
is kind of the picture of what has happened in Timothy's life that Paul and the Ephesian church did for Timothy that every local church should do for the next generation. And that is they commissioned Timothy for ministry and they surrounded him with community. Um, Let me kind of pull that out of verse 14 to make it clear for you. Uh, First and foremost, when we look at verse 14, when Paul says that that gift of ministry that Timothy was given was received through the laying on of hands by the council of elders... Paul is encouraging Timothy to remember his call and to remember his commissioning into ministry through that council of elders in the Ephesian church when they came around him to support him in his ministry. Uh, So many churches, many pastors over the years have seen this verse, that laying on of hands, as Timothy's ordination. And if you've grown up in the church, you you've know that term. It, it's, a, it's a thing that we do to set apart those that God has called into ministry and the local church has affirmed in ministry. And you know that looks different depending on what denominational background you grew up in. I personally support the tradition uh, of and practice the tradition of pastoral ordination. But I'm not sure that here in verse 14 we would be right to call this Timothy's ordination. Uh, I'm not sure that Paul or Timothy or the Ephesian elders would have said, no, this is, we are ordaining Timothy to ministry. Uh, And I think in fairness, they wouldn't have called it commissioning either. That commissioning word is a word that we use at the orchard as we see God's call in somebody's life and want to send them out for ministry. Um, Both of those terms, both of those traditions are words that we use today. I'm not sure they would have used those words. I think maybe the simplest and the best way to understand what's happening here in verse 14 with Timothy, Paul, and the Ephesian church is that these elders that Paul was affirming God's call to ministry on Timothy's life. They were gathering around him to say, Timothy, we see that call. We believe in that call. We affirm that call. We want to support that call. And can we just stop here and say that affirmation in the life of a young person is so critical to them. Young people are in a world that is tearing them down. They're often beating themselves up. That affirmation is critical. And to go a step further, affirmation in ministry is powerful. When as a local church, we are able to gather around someone and say, we see and affirm what you believe God is calling you into uh, in your life, that's, that's important, that, that pa- that's powerful, it matters. And that's what was happening in Timothy's life. They were affirming and commissioning Timothy into ministry. And really what Paul is saying literally in verse 14 is, Timothy, you've been given a gift of ministry. Stop neglecting it. Whether that neglect was that he had stopped cultivating that gift, whether that neglect was that he was not really practicing that gift, we don't know. But Paul is saying, stop neglecting it. Remember that God has called you and the church has commissioned you. And they did that for Timothy. But I think if we look further here in verse 14, we don't just see that picture of commissioning, but when we look more closely, we see that picture of community, right? He was surrounded by the Ephesian elders. And there's no reason to believe that that wasn't in the presence of the Ephesian church. Matter of fact, when we read a very similar passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul's other letter to him, there's reason to believe that when he was commissioned by this council of elders, that Paul himself had been present when it happened and was a part of it by laying his hands on Timothy. Um, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that as a young leader... 
it is very clear that Timothy had people in the church who cared for him, people in the church who encouraged him, people in the church who supported him, and then visibly, tangibly showed him that. I think that's important. Not only did they commission him for ministry, they surrounded him for community, and that helped enable Timothy to be who God had called him to be. And so then, I think as we wind down the series, the question we have to ask as a local church today is what does it look like if we want to do that for the next generation? If we want to do what Paul and the Ephesian church did for Timothy to the young people in our church, what does that look like? So, so let's break that down. Two questions. How do we create community for the next generation in our local churches? Because I'm not sure every local church does that. Matter of fact, you walk in most local churches, there is no community for the next generation. So at the orchard, what does it look like for us to be a church that intentionally creates and cultivates that community? Um, I think the best way to answer that maybe is to tell you a story. Um, the Fuller Youth Research Institute, a few years before COVID, did a massive research project about just what it looks like for churches that want to pass faith on to the next generation. What do we know? What can we learn from churches that are effectively doing this about how we can effectively pass our church on to the next generation? So they did this massive study. They found some churches that were doing it well, and they went to visit that church, talk with its leaders, its people, and specifically the next generation there. And so there was one church in particular in Pennsylvania that they went to go visit. And when they were going to visit, they were preparing for the visit. And they asked the students of that church, what do you love about your church? What makes you love your church? And they said that they kept hearing the answer to that question from all of the students being, man, we just love Bill. We love Bill. Bill's the reason that we love our church. And so as they kept hearing about Bill, they asked, well, who is Bill? right? Is Bill the pastor? Is he a great teacher? Is Bill the student pastor who, you know, is with them and doing fun games and activities? Is Bill the student pastor? Is Bill maybe just some charismatic young guy in college who, who's in the church that they all want to grow up to be like? Who is Bill? So they arrive at this church in Pennsylvania and they meet Bill. And Bill was just a 72-year-old church member. He wasn't the pastor, he wasn't the student pastor, he wasn't a trendy college student. He was just 72-year-old Bill. So what did Bill do that made the next generation love him so much and say they love their church because of him? What did Bill do? Very simply, Bill just showed up. And what I mean is this, Bill made it a point to go to the games that his students were playing in. He made it a point to go to the plays that they were performing in, the speeches they had to give at their school. He would intentionally seek out young adults in the church and ask if he could just take them out to coffee. Bill just showed up. And the reason Bill says he showed up is because nobody had ever done that for him. And because nobody did that for him, Bill was going to make sure that the young generation in his church, that wasn't going to be true of them. And the young people loved him for it. Matter of fact, Bill was so passionate about this that he made a one-page summary of how other adults in his church could do this for the next generation. And he passed it out to them with a copy of the schedule of all the games and activities. 
And so at this point, the research team is so impressed by Bill, they say, Bill, could you get us a copy of that one-page summary? And so Bill did. How he got them that summary was he went to the public library and faxed it to them. (laughs) This, This was 2018. Bill wasn't cool. Bill wasn't technologically literate. But Bill kept showing up. I think the point here of this story is, guys, every kid needs a bill. And every church has a bill, whether they know it or not. There are men and women in their church who can be that bill. And the most important thing you need to know about Bill is that he made their church warm, not cool. I know sometimes at the orchard, we kind of get the rap for being the cool church, right? Like, we want to be the cool church. We've got some young pastors. We got lights. We got bands. We, you know, we do all this contemporary stuff. We want to be the cool church. And can I be honest with you? We have never tried to be the cool church at the orchard. That's never been our target. Now, honestly, we want to be a relevant church. We don't want you to feel like you're jumping into a time warp when you walk into our building and feel like you just went back 40 years into the past. Um, but we've never tried to be cool. Matter of fact, I would say if we're going to reach the next generation, we don't need to be a cool church. We need to be a warm church. A church where kids and students and young adults feel the warmth of relationship from people like Bill. And here's the thing. I hope you understand this. The parents of the next generation can't do that. Right, Because if they feel that warmth from their parents or even grandparents or, hey, we live in small towns, their aunts, uncles, and cousins who attend that church, they're not going to associate that warmth with the church. That's just their family. So for us as a a church, if we want to be a warm church that reaches the next generation, it takes people who are not blood kin to do that. And very specifically... We need the older generation at the orchard. Those who don't have kids here. Those who don't have grandkids here. We need the older generation to embrace the idea that seeing ministry is, that seeing service, that that is a gift from God, not an obligation that they retire from. Paul said, Timothy, that ministry you have, it's a gift from God. Look, you don't outgrow Passing faith on to the next generation. You don't outgrow service. You don't retire from ministry. It is a gift that God has given you. And we need an army of bills to rise up and fight for the next generation. That's how we create community. Um, So I think the second question then is how then do we commission the next generation? Right? Um, The church affirmed that gift in Timothy by the laying on of their hands. And we at the orchard have to find ways to affirm the gifts, ministry, and leadership of young people in our church today. Like, look, they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of right now. They have giftings and spiritual giftings from the Spirit of God in their life to serve the church now. And if young people are not actively involved in ministry at the church, we are cutting off pieces of the body of Christ that are designed to do the ministry and fulfill the mission. But I get it. It sounds risky to talk about raising up young leaders 
in the church. Like, Chip, are you really saying that we should like, ask some of these teenagers to take on leadership in our church? That, that's exactly what I'm saying. And more than that, I really believe that that idea of raising up young leaders has been silently in the DNA of the orchard since the beginning. Uh, here's what I mean. Not that we've always done a great job of giving students significant ministry and leadership responsibility, but that's who we've always been. For instance, Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie founded the orchard. He was 15 years old when he started preaching at churches, 19 when he started a full-time pastorate. Pastor Jeff in Ocala was 15 years old when he started leading worship part-time at his church. He was 19 years old when he started leading music full-time at his church. Uh, pastor Michael, our executive pastor, at 12 years old, was the volunteer music leader at his church. At 15, he was part-time. At 18, he was full-time. AJ, our Lake City location pastor, was 23 when he began the full-time pastorate. Matt, our Live Oak location pastor, was 22 when he began part-time. 23 when he began full-time. And even myself, I was 18 years old when I took a part-time pastoring position at a local church and 21 years old when I entered the full-time role of senior pastor. So that's just who we are. It's who we've been. We've always embraced the giftings and leadership of that next generation because our local churches did that for us. And so we've got to find a way to do that for the young adults, the, the teenagers, the students, in our church today, we've got to do what Paul told Timothy to do. We've got to stop neglecting the gifts of ministry that we have in the next generation here at the Orchard and create space for them to do significant ministry and have significant leadership. You know, I think kind of saying all that, winding the series down, putting a bow on it, what I'd say is, guys, we're going to reach the next generation, not face-to-face, but shoulder to shoulder. Um, I think we position ourselves face to face a lot, especially on Facebook. We talk about that generation used to this generation, young people today. And we think that if we talk to them enough that they'll see things our way. I don't believe that's true. I think the only way that we're going to reach this next generation is not face to face. It is shoulder to shoulder. Serving with them, walking with them, in relationship with them. Um, now I know, look, that we cannot let a nine-year-old lead our preschool ministry. I have a nine-year-old. He just looked, uh, learned how to cook his own egg. Big deal at the Parker house. But what I'm saying is, is while we might not be able to turn that to a nine-year-old, maybe a 19-year-old, but in the meantime, we've got to learn the power of with. That there is power with with. What I mean is that every child at every generation can be with us. They can be with us in the church. They can be with us as we serve. They can be with us as we go into our communities. They can be with us as we give. They can be with us as we study. They can be with us as we share our faith. There is power for with. We've got to get them off of the sidelines and get them with us in community, commissioned for ministry. There is power in with. Because if we truly want to pass our faith on to the next generation, we have to live it out. We've got to talk about it. 
and we've got to do it together. That is our only hope for passing our faith on. And then finally, I'd add one more piece to that. That we've got to live it out, we've got to talk about it, we've got to do it together. But we have to do it now because we're losing our marbles. <laughs> now, if you're a parent, you, you have felt that you are losing your marbles at time. That's where I've been, right? You're losing your marbles. That's not what I mean. Um, this whole time, you've been looking at this jar of marbles on the table, and you're like, what in the world does he have the marbles up there for? Well, they're there for a point. Um, because really, each of these marbles represent one week in a child's life. And from birth to the time they turn 18 and move away to college, we have 936 weeks with our children. 936 marbles. That's 18 birthdays, 18 spring breaks, 18 Christmases, 18 summers. It's coming, guys. We're there. And we're losing those really quickly. You know, somebody told me one time, I think it's true, that when it comes to kids, man, the days are long, but the years are short. And we're losing our marbles. When our kids start kindergarten, those marbles are cut by a third. They're down to 976. When they start middle school, that number's cut in half. They're down to 312. When they start high school... We lose a bunch again. That's down to 208. And by the time that they're a senior in high school, we're down to 52. Time isn't slowing down. We don't get to add more. The fact is, not just as parents, but as the church, we are losing our marbles. And while we don't get more time, we can do a better job of making sure that we're making that time count, right? We've got to battle for the next generation while we have them. We've got to do life with them. We've got to create that community, do ministry alongside them, give them significant leadership, talk about faith, live out that faith, because the time is short and it's now. And so I hope you will join me in making the most of our time. So that we can be a church that passes our faith on to the next generation. So that they'll go farther, do more, and love Jesus more deeply than we ever had. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for each and every one of those marbles that you've given us. God, thank you for the time you've given me with my boys. God, I pray as a dad you'd help me to make the most out of that time. God, I pray as a church that you would help us to make the most out of our time. God, I pray that you would raise up an army of bills at the orchard that would invest in the next generation just for the spiritual impact they can have in their life. God, I pray you'd open our eyes to ways that we can give them significant ministry. God, and that as we do, that you would make the orchard warm. And not cool. Cool doesn't last. But God, make us a place where young people feel loved, accepted, and that they can clearly see Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen.